Well, I, I think that we get this, cre- and I've used the word surge, I, that we get a creative surge. Part of it is that physiologically, we are built to have babies. But once those baby years are over, what do you do with that creativity? Nature is going to keep you around. So you're not going to make babies. So this other kind of creation comes into the space. And I think that if women pay attention, one can ask oneself, what is it that I want to do to make things? Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways that we can age with vibrance, energy, and joy. And Zestful Aging is my podcast, my legacy. I am your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. And to find out more about this this program, my web courses and offerings, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my email newsletter, The Insider, where you'll get behind the scenes looks at my interviews and fun tidbits. As always, I have my little Jack Russell Sparky by my side. Are you ready for an uplifting and energizing conversation about midlife and all of the potential that awaits us. Our guest today believes in the power of creativity and she practices what she preaches. She's a writer, a nature lover, a lover, a political advocate, a podcaster, and a new puppy mama. Stephanie Raffalock is the ultimate zestful ager, and she's back to talk to us about her brand new book, Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women. And she is committed to supporting women, which includes, and I'm going to ask her about this, teaching personal development classes for incarcerated women and other nonprofits, including Dress for success. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back. It's it's lovely to have you back because we had a lot of fun the first time and I have a feeling we're going to have a lot of fun this time. Let's start, Stephanie, by just talking about this whole concept of unlocking the power of midlife women. I think most of us kind of vaguely know what that is, but I want to hear from you. What is that power and how is it specific to midlife women? Well, the the power piece is is twofold. I mean, first of all, I think we have a tendency as women to believe that, you know, power is something outside of ourselves. And when you unlock the power, what you're doing is you're unlocking something within yourself. And what I've observed in the last, I would say 15 to 20 years, there's been a real shift in women's consciousness. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of concrete examples for that. In 2017, um, we had the Women's March. And the number of women that took to the streets with men, with husbands, grandparents, grandkids, grandmothers, all ages of women took to the streets to advocate for something different than what we got. And women know something about not getting what you want and then working toward what you do want. So 
that power was within us. So that's one example. The other example was um, on the heels of that march came the hashtag Me Too movement, which seems so kind of bizarre and, and disconnected, but it's really not. Because once that dirty little secret was out, that kind of unburdening of, a, of something dark that women had carried with them in order to keep their jobs, I mean, to varying degrees, of course, something else happened. 2018, more women ran for political office mm -hmm. in local, state, and national races than ever before in the history of this country. So that is the power of midlife women that we're seeing all around us. And I mean, we could use politics as an example. We mm -hmm. could use um, film as an example or artists as an example. It's just happening. I, I would even say that my little Facebook groups that I visit from time to time, um, that there are women that they're just, we are aging differently. We are aging differently and we're embracing it instead of pushing it away. And we're finding this great, we're finding a great creative surge in all of that. I love that word surge. I, you know, as you're talking about me too, and some of the other parts of, you know, we haven't gotten what we've needed. So we've had to figure out a way to ask for it. You know, that sounds like an uncovering, a truth telling that all of a sudden, our truth is really being articulated and it's catching on. And there's a groundswell of people saying, I'm not willing to go back there. Right. And I think articulation is a good word um, because women have spent a lot of time learning how to speak their truth, stand in the light of the truth and speak it. I come from a generation where, you know, women were supposed to be soft-spoken. We were supposed to be the accessory to our man. Um, the competition with women in my generation was with mm -hmm. men. It wasn't about career or sports or something else. So I think there is a groundswell now of, and articulation within that groundswell of women who are saying, you know, mid midlife is not a point where it's over. Menopause is not a point where it's over. That's mm -hmm. not a dirty word. Um, I look at menopause because that's where I really see midlife as beginning um, as a spiritual bridge. Yes, it has a whole bunch of physical symptoms and we could talk about hormones and stuff. And that's, you know, probably another show, mm -hmm. but there is also a psychological and spiritual component that goes on with menopause that if we become conscious of that, we can work with our menopause as, as an initiation, as an awakening, mm -hmm. as a um, bridge from the motherhood years into now this new great creative time. Because here's the great question. Um, there is a reason that nature keeps us alive past midlife. Oh, wow. Because, right? So what is it? I mean, we're not going to proliferate the human That's world. right. That's right. So why does nature keep us alive? And I would postulate that, that it's because of spiritual and psychological reasons that the, those particular developments increase as we get older or have the potential for increasing as we get over, older, that we can mm -hmm. grow psychologically and grow spiritually as the years accumulate. And that's what there is to embrace about midlife and the age that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Wow, that, you know, I thought, as you can imagine, a lot about this, but the idea of really putting this fine point on, why are we still alive if we can't make babies anymore? It's such a different way to, to look at 
the the phenomenon. I'm interested in talking to you about the role of creativity. Talk to me about that. Well, I I think that we get this create, and I've used the word surge. Uh, that we get a creative surge. Part of it is that physiologically we are built to have babies, but. Once those baby years are over, what do you do with that creativity? Nature is going to keep you around. So you're not going to make babies. So this other kind of creation comes into the space. And I think that if women pay attention, one can ask oneself, what is it that I want to do to make things? In this book that I've written, Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women, the word creatrix comes from the three Greek fates. You remember that there was a spinner, a weaver, and a cutter. And the weaver was named creatrix. And the word literally means a woman who makes things. So now we're in this period of life where we are women who make things. Mm. What do you want to make? You want to make a garden, you want to make art, you want to make writing, you want to make a podcast. I mean, it's all about creativity, isn't it? I'm smiling because when my son was little, when he would like what I cooked, he would say, Mom, you are such a good maker. (laughs) Ah, see? (laughs) Yes. See, he was tuned in. He was tuned in. But so this idea of now we have bandwidth, now we have energy, what are we going to do with our powers, I guess? How does a woman who's just starting to think about this whole new concept of, okay, I'm not making babies, but what else can I make? How does she start? Because unlike you, many women are thinking about other things, right? They're not necessarily tapped into the sort of the spiritual and the development. And now it's midlife. Um, The bridge isn't really in their mind. They may be caring for parents or loved ones. They may be distracted. They may feel a sense of emptiness and what now. How would you talk to women who are just imagining there's a whole new phase of creativity. Where does one start? Well, I I think the jumping off point is something that, um, gosh, it might have been Carl Jung that said it. I'm not sure. Probably lots of people have said it. But it's that um, self-knowledge reveals all things. And so that's the jumping off point, because the more you know about yourself, the more you learn about yourself, the more you know about what floats your boat. You know more about what's going to make you happy. And you're also in a position, if you are open to learning about yourself, that um, you take risks. You know, maybe you'll try gardening and find out you have brown thumbs instead (laughs) of green ones. Yes. But, you know, with risk comes vulnerability and with vulnerability comes something else, this kind of organic unfoldment of the something else. It's it's as if... um, It's as if failure or successes are built on the back of our little failures in Mm, life. So I think it's a time of life of great experimentation. It's like, you know, what do I want? Who am I? That was a question I asked in my 20s. Who am Mm -hmm. I? But I think the question is even more valid in one's 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, always asking that question, who am I? Because it's not a destination point. And I think it's the mistake that we make as young women of thinking that we're going to hit this point where we've arrived and now we know the game and boy, it's going to be smooth sailing from here (laughs) out. 
one foot in front of the other. We see the right. path. Boy, that's that's a big cosmic joke, isn't it? It is a big cosmic <laughs> joke. So the way around that cosmic joke, the other punchline is that reinvention really equals awakening, another awakening. And awakening too is not a destination point. It's what I don't like about the word woke is there's kind of a past tense component to it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't just wake up to something and then you've got it wired. You have to be, life is fluid. You know, whether it's the physical life, you need to keep moving to keep it fluid, the mental life, the psychological life, the spiritual mm-hmm. life, the same way. you've got to keep it fluid. So the jumping off point is self-knowledge reveals all things. And the more you get to know about yourself, the more then you can decide in these later years, what is it that I want? Because I think re- reinvention happens really till the day we die. I think it happens in every decade. You know, what's interesting, I'm hearing kind of two sides of the same coin. And when I'm talking to clients about what, you know, floats your boat to use your expression, sometimes they're like, I don't know, because I've been parenting, I've been partnering, I've been working, I have not a clue what floats my boat. And then the question is, well, what used to float your boat? And it's no surprise that you know this about me. I'm an avid knitter because when I was little, I was like cutting out pieces of felt and making whales and stuffing it and making, you know, that it's not a surprise that I like to, you know, make stuff with my hands and and the whole knitting textile thing. So it's one side is like, yeah, I, I know that's a part of me. I, my mom was an artist. I'm just a maker, but there's also new things that I don't know about me. So it seems like it's both and that there's this part that is deep in your psyche and will always be who you are. But then there's the other part of, I think I'm going to try fly fishing because I love standing in beautiful water. I think I'm going to try, you know, whatever it is. Um, I'm in this kick now. I'm doing a lot of upcycling of thrifty stuff in my garden. Garden. A lot of spray paint is going on, um, but that's just been that's just been really fun because you know it's not nuanced and it's not super sophisticated, but boy, it is really fun. And that's just a new little thing that I've that I've added on. And I love that word fun because you know as children we had a sense of that in our play. We didn't think in terms of creativity. But we thought in terms of fun and we thought in terms of play, you know, what's the most fun thing we can do today? Oh, my goodness. And as adults, I think that we somehow lose track of that, that, you know, what did we do? Like you said, go back to your past. What did you love to do? And a lot of people, in order to get through life, you know, they they kind of cast aside the things like the painter or the gardener or the, you know, the maker of whatever, because they've got a marriage and they've got a mortgage and they've got kids to raise and mm-hmm. stuff. And so now you're no longer in that place. You're in a totally different place. And so what will it be? And, and I think that that's also a good jumping off point is what did you love as a child? What mm-hmm. did you play as a child? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. 
Hello, everyone. I am so excited to announce that my book is finally available for purchase on Amazon and my website, ZestfulAging.com. It's called Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer. And it's written for people interested in starting a podcast or for those already podcasting who want to stand out from the 2 million podcasts that are already out there. So please pass this along to anyone you know who could benefit from my 30 years experience as a psychotherapist and over 250 podcast interviews. Thanks so much. Um, so for you, what has been your fun and your play and, um, and, and, and a place where you're reinventing? Well, I love writing and what converged in my writing was this sense of finding a topic that I was passionate about. I write about women and aging, whether it's midlife or it's, a little bit older. Mm -hmm. And so that was my sense of fun. But I'll, I'll tell you, I had a call with my great niece this morning um, and we just have such a great relationship and I'm 28 years older than she is. But she said to me, I'm so excited about your new book. I'm so excited that you're doing the work that you do because this is the message you've been giving me since I was in college. And I said, really? <laughs> I was like surprised to hear it. You know? but she goes, yeah, do you remember that one book? And evidently I had turned her on to some things, you know, when she was in college. But in those days, I wasn't thinking about the expansion of that message. So part of my own development has been finding the confidence to feel passion for something mm -hmm. and then want to open it up that there might be a universal message in that for lots of women, as opposed to just my niece. So it's been a process of finding confidence in that and, and making mistakes and falling down and finding what works and what doesn't work um, in that message. But that's kind of, that's been my fun. Um, I love this message of, you know, we are creatrices. We are not crones. Crone is, crone is a word that came in the culture, into the culture in, I believe, the 1830s. And it means um, disagreeable old woman. And I know there have been feminist groups that try to take the word yep. and dress it up and put yep. a little lipstick on it. Yep. Some words should not be reclaimed. The word was- <laughs> You don't want, you never want to be a you crone. Don't wanna, you no. don't care what they're wearing. I Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We want to be creative women, creative in our lives, you know, living life akin to making art living oh life as gosh. art. So, so how, and how does this impact, uh, asking a question, I think I might know part of the answer, being creative, living as if your life is a piece of art, how does that influence mental health, physical health, all of that whole body? Well, I can't speak for anyone but myself okay. in, in regard to that answer, but I will speak what it is for me. As I became a writer as I became more interested in my funny little pencil drawings and Zen tangle that I do, which is another creative thing that I do. So you're talking about living as art, living as a creatrix. Is that, am I saying it right? You are saying it right. Yes. Okay. Um, what impact do you think that 
has on our mental health, our spiritual health, and our physical health. So many people in middle age are concerned about their bodies and, uh, and longevity. Um, I, I will use Julia Cameron as part of my answer. Julia Cameron wrote a book called The Artist's Way mm-hmm. 25 years ago. And the thing that she says about creativity is that to recognize oneself as a creator is to have a kinship with the ultimate creator, that they're not separate. And mm. I love that definition of creativity, that when we are making things, we are living life akin to art. We are living life as if it were art. Part of my process in that is that um, I have become more curious about people, which I think makes me mentally healthier. Why does it make me mental health, mentally healthier? Because I'm less reactive to people and I'm more curious about, why did they say that? I wonder what that means. Boy, I wonder what's in that background. And it isn't any kind of like particularly loving or compassionate thing. (laughs) It's really, because I'm not trying to practice that. I'm really, what I'm trying to practice is I'm fascinated by the human condition. People are really interesting. Everybody has like a different reason inside of themselves for something that they do. So that's one of the things that living the artistic life means to me is it means being curious about other people it means being curious about the world. And of course, with that curiosity become, comes a vitality because you want to feed that curiosity. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a vitality in that. Mm-hmm. How is that done? Maybe I should take a class. Maybe I should listen to a podcast on that. Um, maybe I should try this. Maybe I should try that. And that we know what you're describing is absolutely um, talked about in, in all the scientific Uh, research on what really helps us live longer is a curiosity is sort of continuing to ask questions and not just sort of do your usual thing. The brain loves to be stimulated. And so you're talking about things that have, um, you know, the science is really uh, proven in addition to it feeling great. Good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this, I got to talk about your puppy because uh, that is probably the cutest puppy ever. Lab puppy, Mr. Mickey Mantle. What's it like being with a puppy as a creatrix and as a a woman post-menopause? How is it different than adopting a puppy when you're in your 30s? Well, I had forgotten how much energy puppies have. (laughs) I had forgotten that. Um, I have asked myself this question a couple of times, which, you know, deviates from my more centered self, which is, what the heck was I thinking? Really? Getting a puppy at my age. Yeah. Um, But little by little, we settle in. And, uh, you know, the, the thing about puppies is if they get training and reinforcement with the training, then in about eight months, you've got a really good dog. But you have to be willing to put in the time yeah. just as you do with a child because it's investment. It's the, you know, the dog wants to know, like, well, what do you expect of me? Just like a kid wants to know, what do you expect mm-hmm. of me? Mm-hmm. So um, the puppy is a ton of fun, though. And I've always thought of, you know, my dogs are my best trainer 
Um, I couldn't hire somebody to do what my dogs do, which is like to take me outside and just give me a sense of joy mm-hmm. about the day because they're interested. Talk about curiosity. Oh my they're gosh. They're interested and curious about yeah. everything. Yeah. Everything. So yeah, the puppy Mickey Mantle is just, he is a wonderful dog. The last dog was Jeter, also of the New York Yankees. I see there's a theme here. Yeah, there's a pattern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, and and as, as part of the idea of getting a puppy, you knew that it was going to be so much energy. Was there a conscious decision that I want that level of fun and newness and excitement? You know, I began writing about this um, when we got the puppy and uh, the sense of this dog is a little bit like an hourglass for me in the shape of a puppy, because this is the last puppy I'll get. This may be the last dog. If this Mm -hmm. dog lives as long as my last dog, I will be 84 years old. Yes. I've done those calculations myself. Yes. And so right now, you know, I still have the juice to go out and walk every day. And I believe in movement, keep it moving as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But it's sobering. You know, this whole concept of the last dog has a sobering component Mm -hmm. to it. Um, And yet, you know, you just have to live your life. Because none of us know when our number is up. Maybe it will be up at 85 or 90. Maybe it'll be up at 25 or 30. So you've got to live life to the fullest, to to the very, very best of your ability. You know, it's so interesting because I think, you know, I'm a pretty um, faithful tennis player and uh, I love my women and they are just my posse and it's so much love and good stuff. I just can't even, I can't even imagine uh, Life wouldn't be worth living without the same weekly experience. So we all have nicknames, there's social, there's exercise, all of this stuff. But I went in to play last night with my group, and there was an obituary of a woman who um, I've seen around the, the tennis club a lot. She was nationally ranked as a downhill skier. She could not have been more muscular, in shape, vibrant. She climbed the high peaks here and this one, Machu Picchu here and that. All of a sudden, I'm like, this Barb, what? I literally could not focus on my lesson because I kept thinking, Barb died. She's just the last person I would have thought to succumb to pancreatic cancer. And it was very uh, over very fast. And we say this a lot, like life is a gift. And I know it's not forever. But boy, was that that put such a fine point on it for me that coming home, I felt a shift. And, you know, you talk about living as art, it really, uh, I don't know why this, because of course, we know peers that die as we age. For some reason, this woman was like the iconic healthy woman for me. And I was a little intimidated by her um, and her skills. And I thought, wow, if that doesn't, if that doesn't convince you to do your creating and your art and your expanding, nothing will. Right. Right. I mean, we all have limited time here, right? We don't know what that limit, limited time is, but it, but it is limited time. And the older I get, the more I realize that you ha- really do have to seize the day. Mm-hmm. It is a carpe diem moment mm-hmm. because it could be your last day. 
And I remember being in a some kind of literature class when I was in college and the professor talking about um, this Japanese tradition of talking about when you when you die and how fleeting everything is and how wonderful it would be to live life as though you knew it was fleeting. I mean, most of the time that just isn't in our consciousness. We don't walk around thinking about how fleeting it is. Right. Somehow these people in this particular piece we'd, we had read um, managed to see life in the beauty of its fleetingness that it was because it was fleeting, because it was short, because it was limited, Mm -hmm. there was a kind of beauty to that. And they had tapped into like, oh, isn't it amazing? Isn't it beautiful? And I think that that's what we all crave for ourselves. And of course, in the American culture, you know, we all get even in these, what are supposed to be retirement years, like so dang busy. You know, it's like busy. I'm so busy becomes the mantra. And it's like, that is that really the mantra you want for your life? Or is the mantra mm-hmm. you want for your life is I feel so passionate about my tennis playing mm-hmm. and the women who support me that I get mm-hmm. to love on a daily basis. Um, or I feel so passionate about the art I create. Mm-hmm. Or I feel so mm-hmm. passionate about being in the kitchen and cooking. You know, mm-hmm. shift it. Yeah. I remember hearing, and you may know more about this than I do. I think it was a famous meditator, but he would bring his classes into the cemetery and say, we're all going to end up here and doing the meditation. It was much more powerful for people to be, you know, I'm only one step away from the whoever's laying below me. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very, that's a traditional thing in um, Buddhist teachings is to meditate in the carnal grounds or the, uh, what is it called? Charnel? Carnal? I'm not sure of the name. I don't know. It means, it means the grounds where the dead the are. The dead are. And so my husband and I have this great love for cemeteries and we've lived close to cemeteries that we could walk through. And we developed this pattern of, um, saying the names aloud, just whispering the names out loud as you walk past a headstone to pay homage to the person that came before you, that was before you. And just saying the name in the cemetery and then just walking up and down the rows. And it's always so interesting. Um, There was a a cemetery in Sunshine Canyon. And what I noticed is that in the 1800s, not only did they put your name on the headstone and the years, you know, from birth to death, but they put the reason that you died. So you knew if it was a mining accident or you knew if it was the, um, the flu or you knew if it was an infant death. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found that so interesting. It was like, yeah, and this is what got him. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I didn't know that about you, but there's a historical cemetery in Syracuse called Oakwood. And it used to be people would come in for picnics in the 1800s. Um, I think it's an Olmsted Park. I could be wrong about that. Don't quote me. But it's the the landscape is so beautiful and the dogs love it because there's hardwoods and therefore there's squirrels. So there's a lot <laughs> of loving going on. There's also yeah. hawks. And it to me, it's one of the most spiritual places to be. There's a quietness and you know, uh, um, you talk about it being a bit of a sanctuary, right? Or so, yeah. there's something special about that. And I don't do what you do, which sounds really phenomenal is whisper the names, but there is a sense of I am walking among people who have had lives that, yeah. you know, they did not know that they were going to die of the flu. They when were they just do. like me. When they did, yeah. 
Yeah, it's really um, a very enriching experience and, and a beautiful experience. Not everyone appreciates that. Some of my friends think it's really weird and gory. I, know, I don't know. I don't find I don't find the morbidity in it though. I I don't. It doesn't seem dour to me or, or dark. Um, mm-hmm. There's something very uplifting about you know this is where we all wind up. And I think of that Joni Mitchell song from uh, Woodstock that was so famous. Um, we are stardust. Uh-huh. Yes. Got to get ourselves back to the garden. Yeah. It's like, that's kind of where we all end up is, you know, or as, as Ram Dass said, you know, we are just walking each other home. Mm, what a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you doing these days? You're talking about your beautiful new book. Um, yes. But what else, what else is uh, an important besides Mickey and, and your husband? What else is part of your, uh, your daily life and your daily creating? Well, we moved to um, Austin a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I live between two lakes. I live between Lake Austin and Lake Travis. And um, I've gotten into kayaking. Because I can drive 10 minutes and I can rent a kayak for 15 bucks. You, you can rent it. So you don't have to do what we do, which is, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, so, and I'm going to keep renting. So um, Smart. I like, I like to go out once a week. Now, the other thing is I just like to go down to the water too, because I find the water peaceful. Um, walking is certainly a part of my daily life. Kayaking mm-hmm. isn't daily, but that's something I do in the course of a, of a week or two that I just really, really love being out on the water, um, walking every day with the dog, with the husband. Um, that's always foremost for me. Mm-hmm. And I took up this funny little thing last year that I found called Zen Tangle. And if you don't know what Zen Tangle is, Google it. Mm-hmm. Tangle. Okay. And what it is, is it's for people who are not really artists like me. Like, you know, I took a couple of art classes in college and I was always the worst one in the class. Oh, no. <laughs> but you draw on these little, um, I think they're about six by six squares. Okay. Tiles. And they give you instructions and it's kind of like a doodling almost. It's very, very meditative. And the stuff that you come up with, I mean, the stuff that I've come up with, it's like, oh my gosh, I made that. That's so cool. Oh, wow. So I have been doing Zentangle and there's tons. You can buy a Zentangle kit, which gives you the pencils and whatnot, or mm-hmm. you can just experiment with it to see if you like it, which is what I did initially. And you can go on YouTube and, you know, look up Zentangle and there are all kinds of free videos. So you can get into the videos and, mm-hmm. and go through a session and see if you like it. But I find it so meditative and mm-hmm. so enjoyable. And then I've got this cool little tile. When I'm done, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Maybe nothing, maybe nothing, but enjoy them. But, you know, that would be fine too, right? Would, do you do that before writing as a way to kind of warm yourself up? No, I just kind of do it when I, the mood strikes me. I see. But I have a basket of my Zentangle supplies. You know, usually writing is the first order of the day because it, it's kind of, it's become ritualized for me. It's like mm-hmm. if I don't write between certain hours of the day, it's like I lose it. I, I, can't, I see. You can't, I can't get, get it back. Six o'clock or, or something in the evening. So, mm-hmm. um, but Zentangle and this winter, you know, when it was, it got light so late, often after writing, I would sit down at my kitchen table 
and I would do this Zentangle stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, I kind of got lost in it. And it reminds me, you know, because we were talking about play and fun mm-hmm. when you're a kid. It reminds me how as a kid, I got lost in certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, the time just went by. It just mm-hmm. blew by. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's what that's, I'm doing. That's great. Are you thinking that there's going to be a book three or not, not quite there? There, uh, there is. There's one. already. <laughs> How how silly of me to ask. Do you want to talk about it or you want to keep no, it a secret? No, I don't. I don't keep anything a secret. It's, you know, I, it's a little difficult to talk about because in the forming of the forming and the development of a book, things change. Mm-hmm. But the general premise is this, is I'm writing about what's happening with um, kind of a, what I call a secular spirituality in our country. And I think that, and I've decided that I'm not alone in this feeling that people who have deep God connections sometimes don't have a religion or a spiritual path that they're a part of, but yet they have this connection that's undeniable. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just talking about that and I'm telling stories about my own experiences. I became very interested in like, why do people believe what they believe? You know, what's the influence? Are we indoctrinated? Is it something that someone said to us? Where do we pick up the cues and the clues about what the spiritual life really is? And I think, too, from this stage of life, what I've seen is this great arc is eventually it just all becomes your own. It just all becomes your own. And um, so that's what I'm writing about. Which is really parallel, yeah. I think, to the message of Creatrix, right? That you yes. are you are developing something um, in the later half of life that's all about your individual stamp, your individual right. And art. your individual experience. You know, mm-hmm. one of the great, great gifts of midlife and beyond is you stop caring so much about what other people think mm-hmm. about what you're doing. Isn't that the most joyous and liberating, you know, in terms of I I read things on that are posted about fashion and, oh, I want to make sure I'm not too trendy or this trendy or this is a good trend. Or I think, who cares? I know what I like and I know what colors I like. Well, you know, why do you think you know more about that than I do? I know what looks good on me. So, um, Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women. Is it actually out? Is it? It actually launches on August 24th ah. of this year, but it is available for pre-order. Pre-order, which yeah. from what I'm understanding with my book coach, pre-order is important, right? Pre-order is important. Um, okay. It, it definitely uh, helps the author. Mm-hmm. And um, I always like to mention, of course, everything's available on Amazon. Yes, it is. I mean, these days it's like I expect to go into Amazon one day and I can buy a house and have a shit. <laughs> Yeah, you know, right. it's, it's like right. that. Oh, and yeah. I love I have a love-hate relationship with Amazon. I think we all do. That being said, I do like to give a shout out to indiebound.org. Okay. bookshop.org. Okay. These are both independent booksellers that sell online and what it does is it, they support independent booksellers. Yes. So that we don't lose the last of the neighborhood bookstores. We yes. don't we don't want to do that in Every town in America, as far as I can tell, has that neighborhood bookstore that we don't want to lose. And of course, if you buy from, you know, bookshop.org, it's um, money goes to 
these independent sellers. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's great. Uh, great to know and a great point. And where can people learn more about you and all of your projects? You can come to byline-stephanie.com. That's my website. Okay. There's all kinds of stuff on my website, blogs, and um, a little resource section. Um, Mm. I'm very interested in companies and organizations that are working to uplift women and help them. So I list some of those on my website. And of course, I write a weekly blog and a monthly newsletter, and um, I touch upon a myriad of topics from this perspective of life. And yeah, I love it. Come by. Uh, visit me. I, I can see how heartfelt it is as you talk about it. Um, it has been a pleasure as usual, as, as we knew it would. I love talking to you. You're, you've got such a great ability to sort of describe mm-hmm. these experiences. I think that we're also familiar with, but maybe not able to articulate in, in, in the way that you are about what it's like to be midlife and over and, and, and what do we do about it? What are our choices? How can we embrace it? It's just so important. And I thank you so much for being here today and sharing your loveliness with us. Well, Nicole, I appreciate you having me back. Thank you so much. It's always a delight talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used up. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. 
And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest. <music>